Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am back from my flight from Phoenix, Arizona. Chiefs 38, Eagles 35, Super Bowl 57. Done with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the gang celebrating at their parade in Kansas City. A well-earned championship for a team assembled by Brett Veach and Andy Reid that wasn't supposed to win a championship in this season, this 2022 year. And I know that it's been a little bit nauseating to see the Chiefs and how they've been celebrating and handling their victory. I do want to defend them on this right out of the gate, though, even though I don't like some of what they've said. Nobody thought they were going to win the championship. Now, when Travis Kelsey says no one thought we were going to make the playoffs, oh, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. I heard Brett Veach say that. Stop it. Everybody knew that the Chiefs were going to be a good team. Early on in the offseason, when Russell Wilson went to Denver, when the Raiders got better in free agency, it did look like they had a lot of competition just in their own division to, again, win the AFC East, let alone get to the Super Bowl and win it. Nobody thought that the Chiefs weren't going to get to the playoffs, though. Let's be clear here. If you did, you forgot how good Patrick Mahomes was. I picked him to win MVP. He won MVP. But I will defend everyone picked the Buffalo Bills. You know, I picked the Green Bay Packers against the Oakland Raiders, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, I should say, still adjusting. I should now, since the Super Bowl is in Vegas on the strip next year. But I picked those teams to get to the Super Bowl primarily because right off the right off the bat, I looked at the Bills being the chalk favorite and said, this doesn't feel right. The Bills had it in their grasp and let it slip. And I thought that they were going to not even be as good of a team this year as they were previously which I think proved out. Um, But it is true that the Chiefs were not considered the favorite, even in the AFC, to get to the Super Bowl, let alone win. So I will defend their point there that they did prove people wrong in the sense that no one thought they were going to win a second Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes in this particular year. And you have to admit it was fair since they traded Tyreek Hill. And he was oftentimes the X factor and the reason that they would win and that they were different from other teams, particularly in their first Super Bowl win against the 49ers. So, uh, you know, fair that people did not expect them to win the AFC, I think, or at least weren't picking them as the chalk favorite, uh, but definitely correct for the Chiefs to at least say, hey, you doubted us to get to this point, and we did. Now, that said, I think they've not handled this victory ex- extremely graciously, to say the least. Um, from pounding their chest and continually saying that, oh, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. But also Juju Smith-Schuster posting that Valentine's about holding someone with James Bradbury, James Bradbury, the Eagles cornerback, pictured on Twitter and on Instagram. Listen, I like Juju's personality, and I often think it's unfair how much heat he takes for being himself. And I want You want players and you want professionals to be able to express themselves and be themselves. And I think a personality like his is good for sports and good for the NFL. And so I, I don't like when people just put him in a box and constantly, um, you know, bang on his social media presence, but this was the wrong thing to do, especially after Bradbury, the Eagles corner, uh, was such a stand-up professional after the Super Bowl, talking about how he did hold 
Juju Smith-Schuster on that route in the red zone that gave the Chiefs a first down, allowed them to bleed the clock down, kick that game-winning field goal, and essentially leave the Eagles with no time left. You don't do what Juju did. You don't kick a man when he's down. It was poor form. It reflects poorly on him and on the Chiefs. And everybody's no one needs extra motivation to beat an opponent when they play in the NFL. Guys will always tell you that. We don't need a, you know, we don't need to hear trash talk or put it up on the whiteboard what somebody said on a Wednesday to beat them on Sunday. But believe it that not only the Eagles saw that. Not only Eagles receiver A.J. Brown saw that and thought, that's a bad look, and we will be looking at you differently when we're lining up across from you in the future after seeing how you handle victory, because that is not what you do. It's not what professionals do, and it's not what, frankly, kids should be taught what to do after they win as well. I mean, you're setting an example here. That's a bad example. Want to talk to you about Bet Online. As always, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fast and, fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And I'm going to, before I start in on the game and my experience in the locker rooms and at the game, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about something else Chiefs related something that's been on my mind during the week as Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, has become a candidate and a favorite, it sounds like, in Washington to become the new offensive coordinator for Ron Rivera. Not a very long-winded point and still more reporting to do on this. But I look at Bieniemy, who is overdue, obviously, in achieving a head coaching position. And I see the fact that he has to be frustrated. He is frustrated with the fact that he hasn't gotten that. Now, why would you leave Kansas City, even if you're frustrated that you haven't moved, to go to Washington? Look at Washington. Ron Rivera could have easily been fired this past year. I think the main reason he was not is because the ownership situation is up in the air. And you look at that situation and there is going to be a sale soon. Sounds like it's down to Jeff Bezos of Amazon and Josh Harris, the owner of the 76ers and the Devils in the NBA and NHL respectively. So Rivera, I think would have already been out. The only reason he isn't is because they're trying to figure out, well, who's even going to own the team. Dan Snyder, the current owner who would have blasted him out the door uh, per his precedent was essentially powerless. So with that in mind, as we go into the off season and as ownership changes hands, you can't tell me that it would be wise for a coach like Bienemy to join Ron Rivera's staff, knowing that the head coach's strength of uh, job security is tenuous. The only reason it would make sense to me is if Bienemy thought he was possibly in line to become the next head coach of the Commanders. Now, I no one has told me that's going to happen, but I just look at the situation objectively and I lay it all out on a on a whiteboard. And I look at it and I say, 
why would Bienemy go to Washington to be the offensive coordinator for what could be a lame duck head coach and staff? You'd go from the Kansas City Chiefs and winning two Super Bowls and coaching Patrick Mahomes, even if you're frustrated that Andy Reid is really kind of the offensive mind who gets all the credit there. Why go to Washington for one year and then possibly get fired and then be out as a free agent with no job? Now, where are you? So when I think about this situation and I hear Biennemi is interested and it sounds like it's moving closer towards a possible hire, I don't see any reason he would take that job unless he thought he was possibly in line to be elevated or promoted in the event that Rivera were let go. That's just my opinion. Could be wrong, but that's that's how it feels. And let's remember, Ron Rivera is an outspoken coach, uh, supportive of you know minority coaches getting more opportunities. And while I and many others disagree with the way he handles coaching a lot of games, you will not find anybody out there who who will not say this that he is a good man who is always trying to do the right thing. And um, maybe he even sees that helping the enemy could help get him to the post that he wants to down the road. Not that Rivera wants to lose his job, but I think Ron and everybody in that organization knows that if they don't win this year, change would happen. That's how, that's how I view it. Um, and I think that's how everybody in the league and in Washington views it too. So something interesting to watch with the enemy there. And then one more point league wide before we get into some Super Bowl nuggets. Jonathan Gannon's hiring by the Arizona Cardinals, I think is absurd. Um, I like Gannon as as far as returns that come back to me on w- how players feel about him. Uh, obviously, he did a lot well in Philadelphia. I hope he succeeds. But when I look at that situation and how much his defense cost the Eagles in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs, yes, he's going up against Andy Reid. He's not going to face Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes every week. But he was going up against Lou Anarumo of the Cincinnati Bengals, defensive coordinator who essentially gets credit for not only having a better resume and doing really good work with the Bengals week in and week out the last several years, but he's really the only person in the league. If you say to somebody, have you figured out how to slow down Patrick Mahomes? Lou Anarumo is the answer. Now I know the Cardinals are in the NFC, but you talk about a veteran coach who has showed that he can change his defense every week to match the opponent he's playing and be effective. And he has beaten Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs because of that. You know, not only is Gannon not up to par with that level of quarter, that level of uh, of another coach, but I also look at the from the big picture. You're not going to make friends in the agent business, in the coaching business, in the NFL if you handle a search the way that Michael Bidwell just did, which is essentially it gets out that you are down to two finalists, Mike Kafka and Luana Rumo, and that's understood to be the two finalists, and then. As the Super Bowl creeps up, suddenly, what happens? Oh, it turns out there's three finalists. Oh, wait, Jonathan Gannon was Monty Ossenfort, the new GM's quiet favorite the whole time. And they love Gannon and they feel that. Listen, when you handle situations like that, people notice and it's not going to um, strengthen your reputation as somebody um, who can be believed or trusted. If you handle things like that, but let's not forget that the Cardinals organization is the one that gave Kyler Murray 
over $230 million with initially a homework clause in his contract because he didn't work hard enough. And who also hired the likes of Steve Kyman, enabled him throughout many problems and bad picks, and also who hired Cliff Kingsbury, who was first guest, not second guest as a coach, and who ended up leaving, uh, you know, being the coach that everybody thought he was on the NFL level. So um, an embarrassment by the Cardinals, frankly. But again, I I don't mean this to de- to demean Gannon specifically because he is, um, you know, the the return from sources around the league on Jonathan Gannon is that he has been one of those fast risers, just like Mike Kafka with the Giants, uh, just like D'Amico Ryan's, who just got the job from D coordinator of the Niners over to the Houston Texans. So Gannon has been on this rise, and it did seem clear that he was likely or most likely to get a head coaching job if he had a good year. Um, you know, But Mike Kafka was on that trajectory too, and he didn't get a job after a strong year with an offense that nobody thought would do anything. Um, good luck to Jonathan Gannon. Hope he succeeds. But I do think the way the Cardinals handled that, and also considering the candidates that he was going up against, and considering how that Super Bowl went, you're bringing him back now to the scene of that crime. And now we find out after the fact that it sounds like one thing that Gannon sold them on was how to rehabilitate Kyler Murray, the quarterback. And of course, now you find that ownership is hamstringing themselves um, and you know, essentially holding themselves prisoner to a previously poor, uh, previous poor decision. And that's how bad organizations stay bad, ladies and gentlemen. You make a mistake and then you don't cut your losses. You let that mistake color your next major decision. That's how you stay bad. Uh, Monty Ford is a guy who's respected in the league, that GM. Um, so maybe he and Jonathan Gannon are two guys who will turn it around there. We will see. Uh, Bidwill does, uh, as you've seen with Kingsbury and Kime, uh, have a reputation at least recently for sticking through some things and giving people a long leash. Um, but he also blew Steve Wilkes out the door after a year, of course, too. So uh, it will be interesting to see how it happens in Arizona, but I didn't like how they handled that. Now I'm going to go over to Super Bowl night, Sunday, um, State Farm Stadium, post game, Eagles locker room. I walked in there thinking that James Bradbury and the Eagles were going to be frustrated and angry with that holding call at the end. It was the complete opposite. They were taking accountability for letting that game slip away. And everybody knew it was the defense. You could point easily to and fairly to Jalen Hurts' fumble in the first half return for a touchdown uh, by Nick Bolton of the Chiefs. You can point to that easily as a play that you know the Eagles might have run, run away with the game if that didn't happen. Um, but the defense knew and the Eagles knew that they had this game in their hands and frankly were the better team in the first half and you know seemed like the better team walking off the field, honestly. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like anybody was surprised by how strong the Eagles looked from top to bottom as a roster, especially on their offensive line, um, just commanding things. And then Hurts playing the best he's played, essentially, outside of that fumble, four touchdowns, three rushing. And that two-point conversion that he scored to tie the game at the end, 35-35, before the Chiefs' final possession, that was so loud in that stadium. I get chills just thinking about it. You know, these moments, these big games, it's such an honor to be there in the first place. You know, it's a dream come true doing this job and being there. And those moments, but like when he gets hit 
and it looks like he might get dragged down. But then here you got a guy who squats 600, you know, driving in and doing this second effort conversion. Man, about, I would say, 60% to 65% of that stadium exploded. It was, it was crazy. Uh, but, you know, that said, I, I went in there thinking that the holding call against Bradbury was going to be a major part and the main part of my story. And I was quickly um, shifted. My perspective was quickly shifted by the not only perspective, but also the professionalism of James Bradbury. He took it, he took um, responsibility for holding. And he said that it was a call that even though it hadn't been called throughout the game, he said, I can't be that blatant with it. And, you know, I felt bad for him. And, uh, but I was, I was blown away by how much of a pro JB was. And, and he was that way in New York too. So it wasn't, I wasn't surprised by how he handled himself, but I think everyone, you know, compared to Juju Smith Schuster's Twitter persona and mocking Bradbury after the fact, I think everybody should watch how James Bradbury handled himself um, in that moment. And you can, everyone can really learn something from that. And obviously here I am with a few other reporters asking the questions, listening and taking video and pictures and tweeting. And there are these aggregators out there, you know, tweeting Bradbury's quote that they saw in some other's tweet and taking credit for it and not giving, you know, that's a whole nother story. Um, you know, this business is such a mess sometimes and uh, you just kind of have to live with it and roll with it and put your head down. But uh, I think that the overwhelming emotion in the Eagles locker room was sadness. You saw that in Bradbury's face. You saw that from um, basically everybody that that was speaking. And yes, the field was slippery. And yes, I will I will go to my grave believing that it's a shame that game ended the way it did with that holding call. Even though the Eagles said it was a penalty, even though Bradbury said he held him, and even though I'm not going to bicker with the, the, it being called based on the rule, I think it's a shame that a game that was – that high scoring, that exciting, where the Eagles offense had played that well, that they didn't get a chance to get the ball back with time on the clock, and that the official decided that in that moment he was going to call it. But, you know, Kadarius Tony on the opposite side in the locker room with the Chiefs, he told me and a few others that the Eagles play a lot of zone throughout the middle of the field, but when they get in the red zone, they play man-to-man. And the Chiefs knew that, and that is why they went to all of those motions and fake motions and jets because they knew that the Eagles would run with them in man to man. And if they threw some misdirection at them, that they would be able to create some space. And Gannon never adjusted as the Eagles defensive coordinator. It drove me crazy. I thought about a, play, a, a game in 2020 when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady barely beat the Washington Commanders. I think it was the Washington football team at the time on the road at FedEx Field. Taylor Heineke was the quarterback in that game for Washington. And Jack Del Rio, Washington's defensive coordinator, refused to do anything other than just rush for and send his two edges, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, essentially deep up the field trying to bear around the edges towards Brady. Not thinking that you're playing right into Tom Brady's hands when you do that, because all Brady wants to do is step up in the pocket. You need to get that interior pressure to get him off of his spot. And I thought the Eagles and Gannon made the same mistake. Yeah, the field was slippery. You know, Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick were slipping on the edges, but the Eagles weren't getting enough pressure inside. 
And Gannon never adjusted, just kept sending his edges up the field. And Mahomes would step up into the pocket and sometimes through and out. He had that big scramble, of course. And it, yes, it was a it was a great performance by him, especially after twisting his ankle, uh, re-injuring his, his ankle, that ankle sprain. But the Eagles' pass rush never adjusted. And um, that scheming from the Chiefs combined with the Eagles' poor decisions from a play-calling standpoint on defense – really did them in. You know, kudos, of course, to the Chiefs offensive line there, though, as well. Um, you know, I think that that group had a chip on their shoulder and they knew that everyone was talking about the 70 sacks for the Eagles and uh, how they were going to batter the Chiefs team, especially with Mahomes on a bad ankle. And so Mahomes got the MVP, but I would say that you could have given the MVP to the Chiefs offensive line. And, you know, I don't I don't know if you can give it to a group of five guys, but I would have been completely okay with that. And honestly, I heard somebody say this at the beginning of the week. Jalen Hurts could have gotten MVP as a loser, uh, you know, as a losing player, on a, as a player on the losing team, uh, because he is a winner. He lost this game, but he is a winner. And you heard Mahomes say it himself. But, you know, don't get don't get uh, focused so much on the Chiefs and their victory, and forget how Hurts played in that game. I heard Travis Kelsey say that. I heard Jalen Hurts say that, and uh, that was an MVP performance by the quarterback of the team that just came up short. And really, in my opinion, this is this is again why that call bothered me so much. I do think that even though the Eagles' defense did not stop the Chiefs the whole second half, and even though the Chiefs earned the victory. I thought that that game deserved to win or deserved to end in that situation with the Chiefs scoring somehow and the Eagles getting the ball back with a minute and a half left or whatever it was, minute 15. Um, I thought that's how it should have ended and really would have been an all-time Super Bowl if it had ended like that, no matter how it ended. Um, you know, Hertz's throws to A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard were awesome. That throw to Goddard, I think his best throw as a pro. A.J. Brown faking out the uh, chief safety on that deep shot and faking in and then dropping back into the corner to catch that. Uh, just an all-pro level uh, touchdown catch. Um, let's see. Nick Bolton, the Chiefs linebacker, I thought was uh, the best player. One of the best players. Like If you said to me, Pat, who were the best three players on the field? I think Nick Bolton was one of them. Um, the linebacker from Missouri, I believe, uh, playing for Kansas City. You really need to watch the All-22 in the tape. If you're somebody who loves football, go back or even just watch the TV broadcast if you don't have access to the All-22 and try and watch Bolton every play on the Chiefs defense when the Eagles offense is on the field. Not just because he scored that touchdown. He was everywhere, full speed every play, was spying Hurts often, but was never late to anything. And it you couldn't give him MVP because the Eagles scored 35 points. So you couldn't give somebody on the Chiefs defense the MVP award uh, with the Eagles scoring like that. But, uh, you know, he easily was one of the best players in that game. And as a, somebody who covers the Giants daily, I, I have to think Wink Martindale and the Giants are looking at Nick Bolton saying, how can I get me one of those? 
Um, you don't, you know, that's a position inside linebacker where for from a positional value perspective, you don't want to spend too high of a draft pick on it, just like running back. But considering where the Giants are at that position and where they want to get, um, as Martindale said, um, you know, if you have a slow, if you have a slow middle linebacker, you have a slow defense. I think that's a Parcellsism going back to, uh, to the former Giants coach, but that's why the Giants defense was slower this year and they are looking to get faster. And that's a position that they are going to prioritize. I don't mean they're going to spend their first round pick on it, but they're going to prioritize in some way um, in free agency slash the draft. Um, And I would think they would like to go young and build with somebody there. So those are my, those are my points from the Super Bowl. I think the only thing I would add is that uh, James Bradbury at the end of his interview I went up to him and we know each other from when he was with the Giants. And I, and I said to him, you had a great season, you know, thank uh, you. Don't let this get you down. Uh, Don't let this make you think anything less of, of how you've played. And I really appreciate how much time you spent. And he looked at me and he said, Hey man, no problem. That's what I'm supposed to do. And that graciousness, that professionalism, um, we miss JB here in New York. And I hope that he, you know, bounces back quickly uh, to go on to even bigger and better things after being, I think, second team all pro associated press. Um, and I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't mention as well that congratulations to Brian Dable, the Giants head coach on winning coach of the year. And congratulations to him mainly for finding, without my help, I might add, Sal Loretta's in Midland Park. Because if you noticed, Brian Dable the man who wears black hoodies all the time, you know, night and day on the sideline for games, suddenly in a dapper tailored suit. And I saw that and I thought, interesting, interesting. Where did, where did, uh, where did old Dave's find the time to get fitted for this? Sure enough, my guys at Saloretta's uh, fitted Brian Dable up here in Bergen County, New Jersey, and he looked the part. And so I would encourage you all to check out uh, Saloretta's in Midland Park. And just know that um, Brian Dable not only earned that award with his work on the field, but looked the part because of a, of a great company and some great guys over there at Sal's. And then finally, want to wrap up uh, this quick podcast by looking at the Super Bowl futures. And I'm not big on picking this early. Uh, and I reserve, I reserve the right post-draft, post-free agency to revisit this, but for the sake of having some fun right off of Super Bowl 57, uh, two points I want to make. Number one, I'm going to take as my way too early Super Bowl pick for Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, I'm going to pick Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And of course, of course, this means that, oh, I'm going to doubt the Kansas City Chiefs and no one believes in them, right? No. I think that the Bengals are going to have the biggest chip on their shoulder of one of the best teams in the league. I think the bills are going to continue to decline. Uh, the chiefs obviously are going to be right there. I do think the Eagles are still going to be right there, even though their team is going to look um, something different and their coaching staff is going to look something different. I think the San Francisco 49ers are again going to be right there. Um, but I like the Bengals as the most complete team that is going to retain its core with a great quarterback 
that is again going to put itself in the position of an AFC championship game. And I think that I like them to get it done next year. That's my early, 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 way too early, reserve the right to change it, Super Bowl 58 pick. The second point I wanted to make is as we head into this free agency draft season, and believe you me, you need to stay right here on Talking Ball and with me on the New York Daily News website and on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok for the latest on everything going on around the league and with the Giants. But as we head in, remember this, the Raiders are hosting the Super Bowl. They need a quarterback. Derek Carr has been released. Do not tell me they're not going to go big. Yes, they could draft one. That's That, that could happen. If they do draft one, that helps the team building process, quarterback on a rookie contract. But with Aaron Rodgers due to be traded by the Green Bay Packers, I have thought since day one that the Raiders were going to be the favorite, a reunion with Devontae Adams. And with them hosting the Super Bowl, yes, the Jets are in play. Yes, Rodgers could go to a number of different places. But once he comes out of this darkness retreat, I think the silver and black make the most sense for Aaron Rodgers because the Raiders are going to have to try to go big here. You know, don't tell me they're not going to be tempted to do that. They're already in that quarterback market. I think I like the Raiders to go big for Aaron Rodgers and try to represent as a home team, uh, similar to how the Rams and the Buccaneers recently did um, in two of the last three Super Bowls. So I'm going to leave you with that. Um, if you have any reader or listener questions, please pop them on my YouTube page, on my Instagram page at PL on NFL, on TikTok, um, on YouTube, or even on Twitter at P Leonard NYDN. Um, we can always do a mailbag of source of sorts. We'll continue to have guests on throughout the off season. We'll have some Giants players. We'll have some people from around the league, maybe some agents, maybe some scouts, some analysts. Um, and then every once in a while, I will also continue to pop in with these just solo pods where I dump a bunch of analysis and insights and news and nuggets and things that are on my mind. So we'll keep it rolling here at Talking Ball. Please rate, review, and subscribe. As always, give me those five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Uh, please write some reviews. That's the best way to continue growing this and let people know what we're doing here. But thank you as always for listening, for watching, and we'll be back here next time on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.